How about another hand for the band? Have you guys enjoyed them so far? I know I have. Hey, my name is David Rimstead. My family and I are uh, missionaries to a tribal group called Maliali in the country of Papua New Guinea. My family wishes that they could be here, but this is just a small little picture of, I guess, what we look like. That's, uh, I know, right? They're cute. I got a cute family. Uh, my wife, Emily, uh, my son, Calvin, he's 13. Lulu, she's nine. And then our, oh, our sweet baby, Izzy, uh, she's two. And um, we have been serving in the country of Papua New Guinea since 2014. So ultimately, this is kind of how it happened. So we, um, man, we got clued into there are people groups that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ unless someone goes, learns their language, and for the first time in their history, here's the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for them. Man, after hearing this in Bible school, ultimately we went off to training um, in regards to like our local church understanding, man, these, these guys are recommended by us. They're recognized by us. We were sent off to training. We did training and then we arrived in the country of Papua New Guinea. We learned the first language and the first culture. So this is a Melanesian talk, bitch. And maybe I go look at more house. Now this house and me sign up. Okay, me all got to go inside. Now stop one time. Stop one time. Now me kai 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 pinis. Okay, me talk one time now. Round one time now. Me all get up by sitting down low here. So we learned this language, this culture. And then our leadership gave us a list. Not of names, but of GPS locations. And they said, Previous to you, our people group assessment, about five guys had hiked through just this, this region that was kind of unmarked territory. And they hiked through um, the swamps and the rivers and the valleys and up and down mountains. And they tagged every single people group that they found along the way. These are the lists of all those peoples. Pick one. So we were like, okay, this one has the closest airstrip to it. Now, we weren't looking at the map topographic, top, topographically, which we should have, because we thought, oh, this is gonna be like a hop, skip, and a jaunt, like it's gonna be super close. And then we landed into the airstrip and then realized very quickly, oh no, dude, this is like up mountains, down mountains. This is across rivers. This is over vine bridges. This is again, up mountain, down a mountain, going and going and going. And then finally, we met the Malayali people for the very first time. Their language has no Rosetta Stone. We didn't know what the Malayali language sounded like until we actually stepped foot into their tribe. They had no pictures taken of them. We didn't know what they looked like. They didn't, obviously, they didn't even know we, that we existed. We finally made this kind of connection through Broken Pigeon, which is Melanesian Talk Pigeon, but ultimately they weren't totally understanding what we were saying. And then we just kept on telling them, we're gonna come back, we're gonna come back, we're gonna come back. Three weeks later, we do it all over again. But this time we say, listen, this is what we're here to do. Number one, we're here to learn your language and culture. Number two, we're here to teach you how to read and write in your language. Number three, we're here to translate this book into your language. And number four, we wanna teach you everything it has to say about the one true God. Now, from what they could understand from that bits and pieces of communication, they just said, yes, like come. 
So ultimately, we, we built our houses. We, um, like our, our wives flew in. They stayed for three weeks. We learned some phrases. We learned some names. We tried to learn, you know, how to, how to make fires. And they just took care of us like we were babies. But ultimately, our wives and our children flew out. And our coworkers and myself, we stayed in and chopped down trees. We milled those trees, got lumber, built our houses. Their wives flew back in. And we began to live among the Malayali people in order to learn their language for the very first time. You guys, I kid you not, I remember a clear as day, stepping outside of the house and hearing, and thinking, there's no way on this green earth I'm gonna be able to learn this language. And then all of a sudden, you hear from a distant ridge, and I didn't even see the person, Like they're talking back and forth, but they're yelling. Like I was so incredibly confused, but my coworker and I are looking at each other like, how is this actually going to happen? And that's where we became so incredibly dependent on the Holy Spirit. There's no way we can learn this language unless you show up. So show up and show off. And slowly but surely, those sounds turned into symbols those symbols turned into words, those words into phrases, phrases to sentences, sentences to paragraphs, to our fluency. Man, I remember in the, in the middle kind of, of language learning, we weren't at fluency yet. We were still kind of uncovering the language. The helicopters on the chopper pad, our bags are packed, we're ready to go. We had some kind of medical emergencies for our family. And I'm in my office with my best friend, and I'm packing everything up and he just says, David, can you just tell me really quickly the message that you've come to bring? And I said, oh man, I'm, I'm so sorry, I can't. Like, you're just gonna have to wait. And he kind of laughs it off and he's like, yeah, I know, I know. And then he kind of pauses and then he asks another question. David, what happens if you leave and you don't come back? How am I gonna hear this message? And I said, man, that's a great, that's a great question, but we're coming back. But even if we don't, you know, the, the, the Mueller's are here, the Earl's are here, which were our coworkers. They're here. They'll be able to give you this message in due time once we've learned your language. And he said, okay, you're right. And he hung his head and his disposition completely changed. And then finally he broke his silence and he asked the one true question that he wanted to ask from the beginning. David, what happens if you leave and I die and I will not be able to hear this message? Man, and I broke, I broke. Because I had to look at him in the face and say, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. We're not at your language yet to tell you this story. You're just gonna have to wait. Now, I hope everybody in the room is like, what the heck, David? You should have just told them right then and there. But, but listen, they don't have a word for love. They don't have a word to forgive. They don't have a word for gift. And they have no concept of eternal life whatsoever. How would, we be, how would we begin and be able to share one of the greatest stories ever told without those important and necessary words to explain it? Man, eventually, eventually, we got to fluency. Eventually, we, we were able to craft those words and get ready. But then we established a literacy program for them to read and write in their language for the first time. Not that they would be educated as a means to an end, 
an end in and of itself, but that they would be educated so that they're not only hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're able to see it and read it for themselves. We had two graduating classes after, after creating this literacy program, and then we began the, just the work of translation. We had 54 lessons from Genesis to Revelation that we wanted to share with them this one chronological story of redemptive history. Think about it like 54 lessons, 54 chapters that span the distance between Genesis and Revelation. And we began to translate those for the first time in the Malayali language so that they would not only hear the word of God clearly, but for a lot of them, they would be able to read it for themselves for the very first time. This video is just a small little picture of what that whole season looked like for us. Okay, so fast forward, we learn language, we've done literacy, and we're in the office. I'm in the office, my coworkers are in their offices. We're all working on this translation process of these lessons, and, and my friend is with me again, the friend that I had told to previously wait, and we're just, man, we're grinding these lessons out. We're just trying to get them out um, uh, efficiently, but with excellence, and I remember... Um, chronologically, they're not following the story. It's kind of haphazard. So they're not getting the full understanding from Genesis Revelation. And I remember my friend and I are sitting down and he's hearing the story of Jesus and Lazarus, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead for the very first time. And, and he's getting excited. He's tapping the desk and he's whistling. And, um, and then I get done reading this chapter and I look at him like, dude, what, what's standing after you? What are you so excited? It, I was thinking that he would ultimately say, dude, this guy named Jesus just raised somebody from the dead. Like what's going on? But he, no, that, he, no, that's not what he said. He said, I am blown away that there's someone on this ground that would say they are the source of life after death. That, that somebody has the keys, that somebody would say they are the resurrection and the life. David, what kind of guy is this? What does this mean? And ultimately I just said, hey, you're just gonna have to wait just a little bit longer. Just wait a little bit longer. We're almost there. Fast forward, we're in Luke chapter 24, which is the narrative that we used for Jesus Christ's resurrection. And the ladies are at the tomb, the angels are there as well. And the angels are like, why are you looking for someone alive among the dead? Don't you remember? Oh, and my friend slaps the desk and he's like, yes, right. He can't be dead because he is the one that holds all of life after death. David, what does this mean? And I'm like, just wait, just a little bit longer. It's just a few more weeks. And ultimately we began after those three short weeks, we began to teach the Malayali people this chronological story. And it was one of the greatest mic drops up until this point in Malayali history. In the beginning, God. Oh, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were perfectly content, absolutely harmonious, and exceedingly joyful. The Malayali people were like, what kind of God is this? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they have perfect fellowship. They need nothing, want nothing, and they are joyful. Like, how do we get this? And then they, they discovered a little bit later that, that this one true God created all things, not for his own consumption, but in creating male and female, man and woman, Adam and Eve, and placing them in the garden, they were able to delight in and consume all that God had made for them. But 
the Malayali people were utterly shocked when they heard that this one true God invited their first ancestors into this pre-eternal relationship of contentedness, harmoniousness, and perfectly, exceedingly great joy. The Malayali people were like, yes, this is exactly what we've wanted. This is what we wanted this whole time. Oh, we're so excited for this teaching. We want this, we want this, we want this. And then they started to question, well, if this is what they had, why don't we have it? And they saw, according to Genesis chapter three, lesson seven, man, Adam and Eve had disobeyed. Although Adam and Eve had every privilege under the sun, every heavenly privilege that they could ever have. And the purpose, and they exchanged it for thinking that they needed something other than God himself. All oh, the Malayali people began to weep, not because Adam and Eve had messed it up for them, but because for the very first time, the Malayali people were seeing themselves and their first ancestors. If Adam and Eve had sinned and they were cut off. Then we have sinned and we are cut off. David, what are we going to do? And then everybody remembers lesson 11. Lesson 11 was based off of Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that there would be a promised one to come to wage war against Satan and his seed. That the Yomatifu Mofi would come, the road cutting man. He would be a man who would come and he would cut a brand new path, a brand new road to get us back into this fellowship with the one true God. Yomatifu Mofi leyufkok moapateu, oapatei with lua mofi lava pue mani weime. That there would be a road cutting man, a Messiah, a promised one to come and he would crush the head of the serpent. He would remove his people's sins and he would bring them back into a right relationship with him. And there they would be forever and ever and ever. And the Malayali people began to long for this guy. We got to the story of Noah and they're like, is this the guy? Is this the Yomatifu movie? Is this the road cutting man? Do we need to build a boat too? And we're like, no, 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 no. Just, just hold on. Just, just keep listening. And then we get to Abraham and they're like, is this the guy? He's going to be a light to the nations. He's going to bring happiness to all peoples. Is this the guy we're waiting for? And we're like, no, 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 just hold off. Just wait. And then we eventually get to Moses and they're like, this guy is definitely not the guy. He straight up killed somebody. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're following. Correct. And then we get to David. We get to King David and they're like this. This is it. This is the guy. This is why your parents named you David. They wanted to give you the honor of being named after the Yomatifi Mofi. But do you know what the Malayali people saw? Sadly, it wasn't David. But devastatingly, it wasn't any other king after him either. And then, man, everybody remembers lesson 34. The Malayali people walked away from lesson 34 saying, we know him by name. His name is Jesus. He's the one who would come to crush the head of a serpent. He would be able to remove our sins. He would be able to bring us back into this relationship that our ancestors had with him. And they began to love and long for Jesus. Oh, he, he was among those who were untouchable. He was among those who were detestable. Oh, Jesus spent time and had compassion with all types of people. But the Malayali, the Malayali people became 
incredibly perplexed when they saw Jesus being treated like a criminal, although he had done nothing, and then punished like one, although he was perfectly sinless. And they said, David, isn't this the one we've been waiting for? And yet we see him hanging on the cross. What is going on? We're completely undone. Why does he have to have such a gruesome death as this? Why did they treat him so poorly? Why did they beat him over and over? And then we thought, he's surely gonna die. And then they continue to beat him over and over and over. And at the point we thought he would die, he was then put on the cross. David, is this the one we've been waiting for? And then my friend who had been waiting for so long, encourages our group of people. He stands up and he says, guys, I think we need to wait. We need to wait and we need to watch because did he not say in John chapter three that just like the bronze serpent in the wilderness, he would be hung up for all to see? Let's wait and watch. And ultimately, a few days later, the Malayali people both saw in skit and in proclamation of the greatest news ever told, Jesus Christ, our King, is alive. He conquered Satan, sin, and death, and he is the King above all other kings. And the Malayali people, 75 of those men, women, and children, bowed their knees for the first time in faith before Jesus Christ. This is just a small picture, small picture, of what that season looked like. Leaders, if you wanna take your kids on a six week journey of understanding uh, the broader scope of what mission is. We have a really helpful resource down here. Come and take it. It's more information on that overall journey that you can take your students through. It's a six-week course. It's amazing. And ultimately, the reason why I say that is because, you guys, I almost missed it. Like, just, just stop and don't think necessarily about the Malayali and what has happened. I just, I want you to hear this. I almost missed it. Man, from the very beginning, I, I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. I heard the gospel over and over and over and over again. And it was by the time I was nine that I finally understood. Jesus lived the life that I couldn't. He died the death that I deserved. And he rose again to give me eternal life. Something that I could have never earned on my own. I saw Jesus as my savior and I needed him to forgive me of my sins. And I began to walk with him and grow, but eventually making it into junior high, I started to compromise. And those small compromises kind of turned into bigger problems. And by the time I had reached high school, those bigger problems became fleshly habits. And I remember my parents forced me to come to summer camp. And I remember it clear as day. I was on my bed, no one was in the cabin, and it felt like for the first time in my life, a thousand seeds had blossomed. And it was the prayers of so many people praying. And I finally understood if Jesus really is who he says he is, then my life should look different. Oh man, I, I made an intentional decision like most of you did last night to either come to Christ or rededicate your life to Christ and coming back, I had to make a lot of hard decisions. Man, I lost a lot of friends. Not intentionally, but because they didn't, 
They didn't want to be around a guy who just constantly was talking about Jesus. And then I, I said, man, I had this Ezra moment. I, I loved reading the word. That's all I wanted to do. I was reading it, studying it, began to love it. And all I wanted to do was share it. And I began to pave my road. Man, I knew what Bible school I was going to. I knew the seminary that I would go to to get my master's. I knew the guy that I would study under for my PhD program. I had the dissertation or the title of my dissertation already picked out by the time I was in junior high school. I knew exactly what I was doing. And then junior year of college came by and somebody didn't clap. He just poked a little bit and said, David, can you give me one verse that tells me God's heart for the nations and you can't give me Matthew 28? Man, I knew some of those verses, but they just wouldn't come off my tongue. He said, David, can you, can you finish this verse for me? Be still and? I said, know that I am God. He says, can you finish it though? And I said, but I did. He said, no, 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 no. Psalm 46.10 is be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. My name will be great among all peoples. And for the very first time, I realized a very sobering reality. I knew a lot of truth, but I had missed the verse. And I just didn't miss one verse. I had missed a lot of verses. And in missing those verses, I had missed the story. Guys, this is one story from cover to cover, and it's his mission, his message, his people sent to those who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God made all things, he commissioned Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill out the earth, fill it up. But as they continue to do that in their sin, they became exceedingly sinful. God starts over with Noah and his family and gives the same commissioning statement that he did to Adam and Eve. Noah, your sons and their wives, be fruitful, multiply, fill up the earth and fill it out with my glory. And they began to do that. But in their sinfulness, they arrive at Genesis 10 and 11, the Tower of Babel. They gather into one place so they don't have to be scattered and fill out the earth with his glory. And they eventually build a tower so that their name would be great. God takes that one language and one people and scatters them into many places with many different languages. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram, eventually Abraham, and says, I'm gonna make you a light to the nations. Israel finally makes it into the land in Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah stands up and says, because of your sin and unrepented heart, you're going into darkness. You're going into the nations. You should have been a light, but now the earth will be covered in complete darkness until the day where someone steps into the land of Zeblon and Nephtali and shines the light for the very first time. Jesus in Matthew chapter four stands in the land of Zebulon and Ephetali and shines the light fulfilling Isaiah nine. And he begins his father's missions of bringing the light to the darkness that the nations are in. And then at the end of Jesus's ministry, he commissions all of his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Be a light where you are and bring the light to the places that need it. And then we have all of church history we have all of church history that the disciples of Jesus are being the light in their community and bringing the light to the nations. 
And now it's your turn. You are the next generation to be the light in your school, to be the light in your community and to bring the light to the nations that are still in the darkness. 3,000 people groups that will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ unless someone goes, learns their language, shares the gospel with them for the very first time. Students, be the light where you're at, but decide to give your life and bring the light to those who need it the most who are still in the darkness. But Jesus didn't just leave us with a commissioning statement. Do you understand that the commission statement of Matthew 28 is not Jesus's last words? Do you know the last words of Jesus are found in the very last book of our Bible? What are the last words of Jesus Christ? I am coming soon. Jesus Christ gives us the end of his mission in Revelation 7, 9. Jesus says, at the end of all time, there will be nation, every nation, every people group, every language, every tribe will surround the throne of God and worship the lamb forever. In Revelation 7, 9, Jesus gives us the end. So no matter what you do, no matter what you say no to, no matter the sacrifice or the toll that it takes on you, Jesus is saying, my commission statement stands, but the end is there and whatever you do, you will win. It will be worth it. We look at Revelation 7, 9 as the fulfillment to his mission, the promise to his people, Jesus Christ will win. His mission will finish. We can take boldness and confidence knowing that whatever we do and whatever happens for the sake of his mission, he's gonna finish it. Our friends, we pray and long for that end. But the gospel is good news because he came and saved us. But the gospel is the greatest news because he's coming to begin to regather us unto himself. And so therefore we worship, we worship. Let's worship the lamb so that we can go and be the light where he puts us and that we can intentionally begin to process where, Father, will you send me to be the light among the nations that are in the dark? Let's pray. Father, we are captivated by you and everything that you've done. Thank you, Father, for calling us on mission, allow us to be the light with our friends and our schools. Oh, Father, help our minds re-engage that we would bring the light to the places that need it the most. You're a good God who gives good gifts. And so we ask that you would enlarge our hearts that we may run in the way of your commandments. It's in your son's precious name we pray, amen.